0: Welcome to the TerraWatt Space Podcast. This is Saravin. In this podcast, I attempt to demystify the developments in the space industry. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kevin Vail, President of Product and Business at Planet. I'm guessing most of you know Planet, the poster child of the new space industry and the Earth observation sector. For those of you that don't, Planet has the largest constellation of Earth observation satellites that image the Earth every day. And Planet is also just about to go public Following a SPAC deal with DMY Technology Group earlier this year. And as for Kevin Wheel, I'm going to let you listen to his story in his own words. Kevin joined Planet about six months ago. With past leadership roles in Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, his CV speaks for itself. I really enjoyed this discussion with Kevin on Planet and his vision for the Earth observation sector. Sit back and enjoy.
1: Hi, Kevin. Thanks for being on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Brilliant. So let's get started. I have so many questions to ask you um, from what you were doing before and what you're doing now. But let's start with your story. What's your story and you know, how did you end up doing what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, so, uh, so I grew up programming. Uh, my dad worked at Microsoft for like 20 years, actually, starting on the Fortran compiler, if you can believe that. Microsoft used to have a Fortran compiler as a product. And I've always loved writing code, Um, but then in high school and college, I got super into math and physics, came out to Stanford to do a PhD in particle physics. Um, So I was out here, I'm I'm still out in the Bay Area, in grad school, sitting in the heart of Silicon Valley, but total blinders on, on anything outside of physics. And at some point in grad school, I started uh, dating my now wife, Elizabeth, who was basically the total opposite. She was super plugged into the startup ecosystem. She'd like paid her way through Stanford, working at startups, and she kind of opened my eyes to everything that was within, you know, 30 miles of uh, of Stanford. And she kind of she pointed out basically, I could make a contribution to particle physics, you know, maybe over 30 years, or I could go write some code at a startup and ship something to a million people tomorrow. And it just felt so much more tangible and exciting. So I ended up dropping out of my PhD and started working at startups. And the, the first two places I worked, you probably never heard of because they both failed. Uh, and then Elizabeth introduced me to some people at this little startup called Twitter. Uh, and you know, basically all of my career leads came through my wife, by the way. I really just ride her coattails and this theme will become evident even more as I go through it. But uh, so I joined Actually, Twitter yeah. in about 2009. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, marry up. It's all that matters. Um, But so I joined Twitter in 2009. The company was about 40 people and I was an engineer, kind of data scientist. And at some point in there, I accidentally turned into a PM, which is sort of a fun story in itself. Um, But as I grew in that role, I was really lucky. Some folks like Dick Costolo and Adam Bain took some bets on me that, frankly, they had no business taking on a 20-something kid But uh, I worked really hard to try and make those good bets. I got lucky any number of times and uh, ended up leading product at the company for a bunch of years. Fast forward to 2016, after about seven years at Twitter, I was in the process of leaving, passing the baton to the next set of leaders. And I was planning to take some time off. And my wife, Elizabeth, and I ended up having dinner with Kevin Systrom and his wife, who she'd known from Stanford. Again, I told you, I just ride her coattails. Uh, And at dinner, Kevin asked if I'd be interested in learning more about this head of product role that they had opening at Instagram. And my immediate answer was like, no way. I was just wrapping up seven years at Twitter. I bleed Twitter blue. I couldn't possibly go work at Facebook. And Systrom said, look, don't think of this as working at a huge company like Facebook. You'd be working at Instagram. We're small. We have a lot of autonomy. And it was totally true. And I love the team. I love the product. So I came to work with Kevin Sistrom, with Mike Krieger, and with an amazing team at Instagram. And I learned so much there. You know, it's a longer story probably, but I think Kevin Systrom is the single best consumer product thinker in the world today. And Mikey is amazing as well. I am far better at my job today because of what I learned from those two. So, you know, over a few years there, we grew the Instagram team pretty meaningfully. We launched Instagram Stories and a number of other things. And in, in no time, we were sitting at a billion users and 11 figures in revenue. But like, that's actually what led me to the next thing. It was sort of realizing that Instagram was a rocket ship before I got there. It was going to be a rocket ship after I'd left. And as much as I like to think that I helped in a bunch of ways, it, 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 was, it was going to be a rocket ship no matter what. And uh, you, at some point in, in, in about that time, as I was thinking about these things, I was in a meeting with David Marcus, who at the time was leading messenger for Facebook. Uh, And I I asked him what he was thinking about, expecting him to talk about Messenger. And instead, he said, you know, here's what I'm thinking about. What if we could make sending money as easy as sending a text message? And what if we could do that with an open, interoperable protocol that would make money work a little more like email? Because think about it. If I want to send you $5, the first thing we have to do is coordinate on which app we're going to use. Do you have PayPal? No, I use Zelle. Oh, shoot, that doesn't work with my bank. How about Square Cash? Oh, no, I don't have that. Like, Venmo and PayPal aren't even interoperable and they're owned by the same company. And this is all just, you know, imagine we're two people in the US talking. It gets way, way worse if I'm trying to send you money in France, let alone if I'm trying to send money to a friend in the Philippines. It gets expensive. It takes days to go cross border. I mean, it's just crazy. And Imagine email worked that way. You have a Yahoo email address and I have a Gmail address and we just couldn't send each other email. Posterous. And can you imagine somebody's just saying, talking about sending a cross-border email? Like, doesn't make any sense. We just send emails, right? It's an open, free, global protocol. Why shouldn't money work that way? It's a huge mission and one that I still believe in. So I spent an amazing three years working on that. And I think that story is still unfolding. Um, Novi, the Facebook yeah. subsidiary that's working on this stuff, just actually launched, uh, I think, on Tuesday. But uh, you know, at some point in there, I started realizing I was spending a lot of my own personal spare time reading and thinking about the space industry. I really missed getting being closer to science. I believe like the next decade is the decade where space is just going to become part of our daily lives. And that's the most interesting time to work in any field because you have a lot of leverage to make long-lasting impact. So, you know, I can talk about why I joined Planet and why I'm so excited about our future, but maybe I'll stop there because this has been a long answer to your question.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting story, right? So confined to the world of tech and it had not gone into space tech yet. And for, you know, for listeners wondering why I have someone from, you know, X twitter or X instagram um, now let's go to get on to your next step. Uh, why space and, you know, why planet? Uh, I think why planet I can kind of see because I think you're on the... You're on the board of the Nature Conservancy, if I, if I understand that correctly. So you mm-hmm. know, there seems to be like a fit with planet and, you know, people know about planets and, you know, you don't need to explain what planet is. I hope that most of the listeners know what planet is. but um, So I can see some kind of fit, but why why not just stay in tech? Because there's a lot of, you know, well, controversies recently and also, you know, things to do in, in tech, if, if I can call that, you know, umbrella of companies tech. Why, you know, move to a completely new world of space tech, the planet, in your case.
2: Yeah, I mean, so part of it is what I mentioned. I think the next decade is going to be the decade that space and space technology become part of everyone's lives. It's also, like you said, in planet's case, uh, it's, it's not about space for space's sake. Our mission is about using space to help life on Earth. We operate the world's largest constellation of Earth imaging satellites. Uh, we about 200 of them that are going around the planet every 90 minutes or so. We image the entire earth every single day. And uh, it, it is a fundamentally new capability for humanity, right? The earth is changing at an accelerating rate. We're the only company in the world that has data about how it's changing, how we as humans are impacting that every single day. Um, and it, for me, it's it sits at the center of a bunch of things that I care a lot about. I'm... I'm uh, a member of the council on foreign relations, I, I, I care a lot about geopolitics and planet because of our our ability to basically shine a light on what's happening anywhere in the world. Does a lot for the relationships between nations, for security, for transparency, and like you said, uh, we can do, but we can make meaningful progress being ground truth for everything, sustainability, and understanding and mitigating climate change. Uh, And so it's just the center of these things that I cared about from space to geopolitics, to sustainability and climate change. There's, there's no company like planet. And I guess, you know, maybe the other thing is uh, just in general, I'm, I'm, I'm driven by, I I love to learn. Uh, And I like to work on things that are way bigger than myself. I, I like to half feel like I know what I'm doing so that I'm not totally useless, but Half feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, which pushes me to learn and to do my best work. I've been at Planet six months now. I think I probably learned more there in those six months than in my last six years anywhere else. Um, so I that was something I was hoping for coming into, and it uh, boy has it delivered.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so let's get into your learnings then. Before that, I was just going to check. So was this uh, move into Planet also you know facilitated by your wife or was it all yourself? <laughs>
2: Just to actually it, for the first time it wasn't uh, <laughs> okay but it did right. come <laughs> did initially via a friend from twitter so and she was the intro into twitter so indirectly you know she continues to drive all things
1: <laughs> sounds good uh, so but i'm curious what do your friends feel about or felt about your move when you made the move Are they surprised or you know friends from Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, like what are you going to do in a space company? I mean, as much as, you know, planet is all about, you know, collecting data for earth and, you know, my is that earth observation data is just another type of data. So for them, it should be just another type of data. But I was curious what they were feeling like, you know, Kevin, what are you doing? Going to a space company right now? No, the reaction was super
2: positive. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it gets actually at something that I think is important for our industry in general, which is. Most people said, "Wait, what's Planet?" And uh, and to be fair, I you know before before I got into it and really spent a lot of time with Will and Robbie and the rest of the management team, I'd heard of Planet. I'd watched Will's TED talk once or twice over the years, but it's not a thing that you think about daily as a as a consumer. Even you know me, who's into science and into technology, and I think that's a that's a big opportunity um, because most people have no idea that there is a company anywhere in the world that can image the entire earth every day. And since they don't think about that as as something that's possible, something that even exists, they don't think about the opportunities around it and how you can use it to, you know, as ground truth for the world. So honestly, uh, people were people, if I just said I'm going to planet, they were like, wait, what's that? But Then when I said, well, and this is what we do, we operate the world's largest uh, constellation of earth imaging satellites, we image the entire earth every day, here are all these amazing use cases around forestry and agriculture and defense and sustainability, people would just be like, wow, I had no idea that existed. And it's something that I really hope we as an industry can change because this stuff is important. It matters for the world and uh, more people should know about it.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, it's it's such a, such an easy job for me when I go and speak in conferences, you know, trying to speak about the space industry or what's going on in Earth observation. You know, you just show, show planets and, you know, you show the size of satellites before and then you, I, I like to show a picture of where there's this huge satellite and then there's a satellite that's the size of cup. I think that's one of planet's images. And I show that in mm-hmm. conferences and then people are like, wow, it's like, oh, that's the size of satellite and, you know. I can take a picture of the Earth um, every single day or, you know, more frequently these days. Um, all right. So let's get to, you know, what you've learned about the industry so far. But just an overall about the space industry, what are your overall thoughts? Obviously, you know, space has been in the news more so in the last few years, because I got into the industry five years ago and none of the main publications were covering space. And I had to just dig into space news or, you know go into some reports and now everybody has a space newsletter, you know, even Tech, TechCrunch has one, if I'm not mistaken, and then TechCrunch is something <laughs> that I followed all along. And, you know, it all picked up in the last couple of years. Uh, when did you start following space or were you, you know, into space um, before you joined Planet?
2: Well, I'm a physics and math nerd, so I've kind of lightly followed it uh, for a long time, but never, never super seriously. Uh, but I think and this is more true the more I learn, I think it's one of the most important and interesting things that anybody can work on right now. It touches on just about any branch of fundamental science you can imagine. And the implications for breakthroughs in this space are just gigantic. I mean, there are implications for national security and sovereignty. Look at the news this past week about China's hypersonic missile that leverages rocket engines. There are implications for transportation, both on and off planet, for communications with Starlink and other things, for sustainability and climate. You know, anything you can imagine, it's fundamental. And this is the decade where it really becomes part of our lives. And that means that now is the time to be working on it because the industry is going to upend all of those fields that we were just uh, talking about. And it's also, it's not just about space for space's sake. You know, look at planet. We're using space to help life here on Earth. You've got data that comes from space, but our data can improve crop yields. It keeps the maps that we use, you know, Google Maps, for example, up to date, track supply chains and more. We're all travelers on this one single solitary spaceship Earth, and we've got to take care of it, but you can't manage what you can't measure. And so taking care of it starts by understanding the impacts that we're having. And as we start to work to mitigate those impacts, you got to be able to understand quantitatively what's working and what's not. And Earth observation data is a core part of that. And maybe the last thing I'll say is there's just something awesome as humans about having a frontier again. Uh, Robert Zubrin has written pretty eloquently about this. And if you haven't read his book, The Case for Space, you all should. Uh, I'm hopeful, maybe naively, that part of going out into the broader solar system will create sort of a sense of unity again, that even if we're all different, we're from different countries and different backgrounds, that we're all humans from planet Earth. And in the scheme of things, we're a whole lot more alike than we are different.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. That's, that's the beauty of working in the space industry, right? Like it thinks, uh, puts things in perspective like nothing else does in the world. Um, all right, Earth observation. Um, what are your initial thoughts on, on the market, you know, when when you got into Planet and you said that you learned so much in the last six months at Planet. So what did you, you know, what's your overall perspective on Earth observation? You know, if I, if I, if I may, I mean, I, I, when I got into space and Earth observation a few years ago, you know, I just considered it as another type of data because I came from the software world. I was like, yeah, this is another data coming from space. Uh, and then I got into the industry and then I realized, you know, there were a lot of things to kind of change, um, even though, you know, it has its own geospatial and remote sensing component to it. Uh, there were things that needed to change in terms of how to access the data, you know, what kind of data is available, you know, there's data availability, data accessibility, and then there's data usability. I think we are slowly solving that, you know, Planet is solving the availability part and then you're working on the accessibility part, you have APIs and all. But what are your overall thoughts on Earth observation in general? And then we can get deeper into you. Uh, Well,
2: I think it's the hardest, maybe most interesting thing that I've ever learned. Uh, I I have loved I I feel like once a week now and it was once a day before I learned something new that can be measured from space that I would have had no idea can be measured from space. And it's awesome. the other thing that's interesting, and I've been like thinking through this more uh, recently as I've you know begun to understand just a little bit, I still feel like I, I only know enough to know how much I don't know at this point. but, um, but there are really interesting organizational consequences to how deep this, uh, this, this field goes. So like I think anywhere else I've ever worked, after maybe six months. Of course, you don't know everything after six months, but I feel like I had a pretty good sense of uh, everything from the product into the technical and the architect side of things to the business. You know, I might not be able to go five whys deep on a particular topic, but I could maybe go two or three. At Planet, I find that even like innocuous seeming questions end up running pretty deep. You know, you, you ask a question. And you realize pretty quickly the answer depends on like the thermal signatures of the satellites or the molecular makeup of a crop versus another crop or details around supply chain economics in a particular industry vertical you know things that take real expertise and mastery so after six months at planet i feel like i've got the surface level stuff more or less but often i can maybe go one Y down and in many cases, I'm realizing I, I probably never have the full expertise to go down as deep as I wish I could or would like to go. And no individual person at Planet does for all of these different subjects at once. And the, the interesting organizational thing is it means that big decisions really become more of a team effort, maybe more than at other places I've worked, uh, because you just need more people in order to be able to cover you know, the ground, to cover from first principles some of these questions. Um, but overall, I'm loving it. Like I get to wake up every day and work on a mission that I deeply believe in, with a group of coworkers who are there for the exact same mission. Our tech stretches from like vertically integrated satellite manufacturing all the way to APIs and web interfaces, and we can feel the impact that we make with customers and on the world. It's hard work, but uh, I'm having a blast.
1: Yeah, I know vertical integration is pretty cool. Um, because I work for a company that you know also is vertically integrated by itself, but Just for the purposes of people who, you know, don't understand about what Earth observation, you've been, you know, going on about Earth observation for the last five, 10 minutes. I look at the value chain as, you know, there's the data where, you know, there's planets. And of course, I'm simplifying it because that's where the whole space component sits, because that's where satellites are built and launched. And then they collect the data and then that's the data component. And then there's the, what you call the modeling or the analytics component where, you know, you try to spot the trees or count the number of buildings or, you know, count the number of ships whatever you want to do. And then you have finally the insights or, you know, the the way I call it, the insights kind of part of the stack. That's kind of how I view the earth observation industry or at least i have come to view it. Do you agree with it? Or, you know, what what would you, you know, say differently about how earth observation is organized today, especially for those, you know, who who may be new to, to earth observation? Does that make sense? Or would you do that differently? I think it's a fair
2: breakdown, although I'd argue maybe it's more of a spectrum than it is a, uh, a binary sort of um, separation between those two things. So I think it's natural that our industry, like, like any industry, starts at the data layer because when you begin collecting data off of satellites for the first time, what you have is the raw data. But the raw data is almost by definition the most challenging data set to work with. And and this is one of the things I'm most excited with around Planet, because if all you do is focus on the data itself, there are only so many customers you can serve. I mean, I, you know, I think we could get to a billion in revenue just focused on the raw data. Like, I think the market is not small, but it's much smaller. if you If you need someone who has geospatial expertise and who knows how to process terabytes of pixel data, you know, not everybody does that. And so the opportunity is to move up the stack, to to not just offer raw data, but to help companies and partners derive insights from the raw data, whether that's remote sensing algorithms or machine learning or fusing in other data sets. And the goal, and this is where the, the, the spectrum comes in, it's not that our goal is to build a million different point solutions. It's not. There's a really valuable partner ecosystem out there. It's, for us, it's about creating the building blocks that allow businesses and partners to you know, mix and match together these building blocks that allow them to more quickly get answers from the underlying data without having to do a whole bunch of the heavy lifting to go from raw data to insights every single time they want to produce something new. So in my view, every step we take to make the data easier allows us to serve more customers and to serve them more quickly. And that, I think, is how we make this industry mainstream. It's how we go from serving, uh, you know, customers that have geospatial expertise to serving every business and every government in the world.
1: Got it. Makes sense. So uh, am I understanding right that, you know, you are focused on, you know, taking Planet a little more downstream than it is right now? Because right now, for for, for those who don't know, Planet has, well, two, or you have announced the third constellation, if I I get my numbers right, like you have your Doves or Super Doves. And then you have your SkySaAS for high-resolution imagery. And then you recently announced Pelican. So you have three types of satellites still collecting data. Uh, but then, you know, that's not enough. You want to go downstream uh, and then, you know, start converting these data to some kind of insights that people can pick up on. Right. Is that what you're uh, referring to?
2: Yeah, we've actually also announced a fourth constellation, a hyperspectral constellation of satellites that uh, that'll be able to capture methane and carbon emissions and and basically be ground truth for understanding, um, you know, CO2 and methane emissions around the world. So that'll be a fourth constellation. We're super excited about it. Um, but that's, you know, that that almost is case in point, because then you're not just dealing with, um, with with uh, mostly visual, you know, visual and near infrared data, but you're into the hyperspectral data range. And there there are even fewer people who are experts in that. And so I think it becomes even more important for us to, uh, you know, we'll continue to provide raw data. For anybody that wants the raw data, that's great. And we want to be, you know, enable them to build whatever they want. But there are a lot of people who don't want to start with the raw data, even when they could. They may have a technical team that completely has the expertise to start there, but it may not be a huge technical team and they would sure rather that we help them with some of the building blocks. And that's why I think it's important that we kind of, we move up the stack. We start to build these composable, open API-based solutions. And it's not that anybody has to use them. It's just, if you want to use them, if they're valuable for you, if it's undifferentiated heavy lifting that helps you get to your actual the value that you provide as a business or a partner faster. That's great. I want to provide those so that you can move more quickly. Um, versus the world today, where you know you you've got to start from the raw data and build up from there. And this isn't this isn't uh, this is something that we've been working on for a few years now. It predates me. And We have a product called Fusion, for example, where we're we're combining the best of our daily three to four meter data. Um, with Landsat and sentinel and MODIS, you know taking advantage of the radiometric uh sharpness and other things that you get from those data sets and producing the the a data set that is kind of the best of all possible worlds right that's one example of eliminating some of that heavy lifting that everybody else would otherwise have to do uh but we can do much more and i think every bit that we do makes this data easier to consume and takes us from this place where you know when i go to leave uh, novi and come to planet people go wait what's that like oh that sounds so cool oh wow i had no idea that existed and takes us to a place where people just are automatically using this data to drive insights decision making measurement at uh you know wherever they work around the world because this data is fundamentally important to every business and every government in the world i deeply believe that
0: yeah
1: definitely i mean earth observation data is it's super important. And, 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 you know, we have a lot to do as an industry to evangelize this data because a lot of people are not aware. Well, I think rightly so, because it's only been used in the defense community mostly, at least uh, until 2017, 18, when, you know, commercial uh, side of things picked up. Um, but, you know, obviously there's, there's more to be done. We're collecting more data than ever in the history of humanity, I think which is great because we know a lot of what's going on on planet earth from a scientific standpoint, which is great for climate modeling, you know, weather company that I work in, but also on for businesses, right? Like whatever they are, they want to see, they can see now. Uh, And you mentioned that security and, you know, a bunch of other topics. Just to to
2: add one thing to that, it's it's evangelize, but I think it's also simplify. And I'll I'll give you an example. back in the early days of Twitter, we we basically started, everything was API based. And the API was so easy to use that it was, it, it was often an assignment in like, you know, 201 level college classes to go build a Twitter client. And as a result, you had this explosion in people experimenting with Twitter. And I think it helped bring Twitter mainstream. And if instead it was, it was, you know, you had to ingest the entire stream of every tweet and, put together a big infrastructure and all these things in order to get any value out of Twitter, you wouldn't have seen that explosion of use cases and people trying different things and showing that Twitter could be valuable in a hundred different ways. There's something very analogous here. Uh, And the more that we simplify it, the more we make it easy to, you know, not just start with terabytes of pixels before you can get data, but just go grab a time series about something that matters to you or consume data in the form of an Excel spreadsheet that makes it easier for people to experiment, to get value, and then to ultimately invest their time in understanding how this data can help.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think the Simplify message is, is very important and very relevant in the industry. Um, it, it's something that you know, doesn't come across very easily because obviously the, the industry has been you know, full of people from the science and the engineering community, uh, which you know, they are you know, incredible in doing that. And then there's you know, the storytelling part. And the simplification part uh, that comes in, and you know, I perfectly relate to what you're saying. Um, I was also curious in terms of because you worked in so many B2C applications, you know, it's a question that's you know on everybody's minds. Why isn't there a B2C app for Earth observation data? I'm sure there are a bunch of reasons for it, but do you think it's it's possible at some point we'll we'll have some kind of B2C application that's you know, you don't have to see a satellite image because you can see that on Google Maps and, you know, that's the most you can do. But maybe, you know, something that's underlying as well, right? Like, is that, is that possible, you think? Is that, you know, in your uh, roadmap or, you know, is that going to be in, in the industry's roadmap at all?
2: Well, I think there are some today. I mean,
1: Google Maps, I would argue, uh,
2: wouldn't work without data from EO satellites, including planets. It's how the data stays up to date, and it's the basis for some of the imagery you see in Google Maps. So, um, so you're you're partly there today already. Um, I I actually think, in in all seriousness, there are others. There are other good examples of this. I don't know if you consider uh, a farmer, you know, a consumer in the same way that you're talking about B two C apps, but there are certainly a number of apps built off of Planet data, built by you know, great ag companies that are, for example, grabbing daily imagery and showing farmers NDVI of their fields, things like that, that they're opening on a mobile phone. So, you know, I think we're getting there. And as we make this data easier to consume and as we get it out to more and more people, these there are gonna be more of these use cases popping up. Uh, I, I, I
1: certainly think that's where it will get.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, building on that, Do you think there's a place for EO? Because I wrote a piece a few months ago about if EO is, you know, ever going to be in the foreground um, or will it always be in the background, you know, like, like GPS, you don't really care about it. You know, it's just there. you don't think that, you know, it's, you know, navigation data that's coming from satellites that's making Uber work or making any of your location-based apps work. Is that going to be the future for EO? Because, you know, if you're thinking about a B2C app, you know, there's one way of going about it, right? Like, Google Maps where Earth observation is in the foreground because you see the satellite image or the NDVI where, you know, somehow the farmer is or uh, interfacing with Earth observation data. Or, you know, there's the background approach. Where do you think the future will be? Because based on what you're saying, it seems like it's going to be in the background. Is that that really the case? And is that how uh, Planet also looks at EO as a market?
2: You could, definitely imagine, you could definitely imagine different versions of both, but I will say, I don't think being in the background is a bad thing at all. Uh, in fact, I think with most technologies, real success is that they become so ubiquitous that they vanish into the background, right? I mean, air travel. Air travel is magical when you stop and think about it. It's unbelievable, but it's just a part of our everyday life and we don't think about hopping on a plane. Um, I think as we, uh, as we go forward and we start to, on a daily basis, use Earth observation data to understand the world around us, and we're we're not just thinking about pixels, but we're thinking about things like biomass and carbon sequestration and you know, other kind of planetary or economic variables, they're going to have Earth observation data at their root. They're probably going to have other kinds of data mixed in. and. It's no one needs to think about the fact that they're from satellites other than that this is just a, a new capability that humanity has. And it allows us to better understand our world, better understand the changes it's going through, the impacts we're having on it. I, I think that would be massive success, uh, even if it's only in the background.
1: Makes sense. Let's go to Earth observation for a bit, because uh, maybe it could also relate to, you know, your vision for planet and how you're thinking about planets. Um, I think that, you know, Earth Observation, the big trends are, you know, two of the big trends are going to be data fusion. You mentioned, you know, you unveiled a product recently, and I think there was also a product last year or a couple of years ago, another data fusion product. So one of my trends is focused on data fusion and the ability to fuse different types of Earth Observation data, not only, but also with other types of data. So that's one big trend that's you know, we need to focus on earth observation because, you know, earth observation data by itself can solve some problems, maybe a few problems just by looking at the image or just getting insights from the image, but it needs to be fused with other types of data, right? Do you do you kind of agree or do you think that we need to still pass the message of, you know, EO data being the main kind of component for a solution?
2: No, I think uh, I think you, you won't be surprised that I think fusion is a big part of the future and it gets back to how do you simplify this data and make it more more easily accessible. If, uh, if fusion for is one of those things, it's a heavy lift. It's not easy to fuse Earth observation data together, to fuse data from different satellites, different you know parts of the spectrum, or satellite data with more terrestrial you know supply chain data, for example. It's hard, uh, and no single satellite takes every measurement that you need, and you want to often complement these things with other data sets. If we can do that, then You know, that's every customer that uses it. That's a customer that didn't need to take all the R&D time that we did to build Fusion. They didn't need to go replicate that across every single customer that we serve. We were able to do it once and provide a service for everyone else. So uh, I think that's absolutely a key part of making this data easier and, you know, exposing it in open standard APIs and and things like that, that people can, you know, compose together uh, with other services. Some maybe that we build, some that others will build. Uh, I would love to live in that world. And I think, um, you know, it's the same thing as you think about expanding into different verticals. Like the way you make verticalization possible is exposing these building blocks. It's not that we're going to go build every individual vertical solution, but I hope we can build a lot of the common building blocks for people and make it easier for the ecosystem to build these vertical solutions.
1: Definitely, yeah, verticalization was, was, you know, another big trend that, I keep seeing in the industry, because um, obviously Planet, would you put, you know, because you know I'm going back to the software background of mine and how we look at horizontal staff and vertical South. and you know, you have companies that are focused on specific verticals, and then there are companies that are horizontal. Uh, I consider Planet to be one of those horizontal, multi-purpose data, right? Like you're not specific for agriculture, you're not specific only for defense, can be used all across the board. But how do you then, you know? Go and start figuring out answers for specific verticals without really verticalizing, because it's one of the questions that I've had about the industry and how we're going to evolve. Uh, maybe I shouldn't look at SAS as an example because it's you know a completely different world. But I'm I'm just curious, like how is it going to work in our observation? Because you know you can be multi-purpose, but then you need to kind of specialize at some point, right? Like that balance is, is almost hard to to implement.
2: I think it gets at the importance of building a great ecosystem around our data. Um, if we said we're going to have to, we're going to do everything ourselves, then there's no way that we would be able to serve the, the thousands of different use cases across tens of different verticals. But uh, like I said, I, I think if we, if we, so we couldn't ever do that if we tried to do everything ourselves. But the opposite uh, or, or the other end of the spectrum is also not, I think, the best strategy. If we just said, you know, hey, we're here's some raw data, everybody go to town, because then you're asking everybody to build the same sets of things to start to get value out of the data. That's why I think the right strategy is actually somewhere in the middle. It's to to build a, a platform where that starts with raw data and anybody that wants the the raw data, like, awesome. We will always provide that. And like, I mean, there's... There are so many amazing groups building on top of Planet Data today. Um, you look at like the education and research field. We see something like a new peer-reviewed paper built off of Planet Data every 18 hours, and like we want to enable those use cases forever. There's so much uh, value that comes from that, but a lot of people don't want to start there. They want they want us to help, and if we have if we have 20 different customers who are doing the same thing along the way to building their own solutions, i you know, the product manager in me says we can make this easier for them. Let's, let's build that common thing for them and let them build on top of that. And once you do that, you might find that, you know, six more need this, this next thing. And so we can go and start to build these things for people, for, for businesses, for partners. And it, what it, the outcome is, they can spend more time building the specific solutions and adding the specific value that they're going to do that we're never going to do, they're going to be able to get there faster, which means they're going to be able to build their business more you know, quickly, more effectively. They're going to be able to serve more businesses. And that's how we ultimately bring more businesses into this ecosystem and help more companies, more governments around the world get value out of Earth observation data. And you know, I think you and I both agree on the inherent value of this like ground truth data for the world so the more hands we can get it into the more impact that 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 we all make across the industry definitely
1: yes um last question on on planet before we move to a few wrap-up questions what's your vision for planet i think you touched on that here and there but uh, i mean i want to give you a chance to you know talk about how you see planet in in let's say the next five years because 10 years is probably you know far too long to be thinking about but Five years, you know, from you know, from what you're going to be offering, you know, is there going to be different types of data coming in, or are you going to become data agnostic and you know just collect as many types of uh, data as possible, you know, because clearly space is one of your biggest assets, right? Like you have hundreds of satellites up there, so you know you can create, you know, build new sensors and build more satellites if needed. So, where does the future of Planet look like? You know, how does it look like, and what is the vision?
2: Yeah, you know, one thing I've loved coming into Planet, um, it, it was one of the things that drew me to it as I started to get to know Robbie and Will is how deeply and expansively they've thought about Planet's place in the world. And even now, as I get to know the business better and I'll have an idea, and I'll go take it to Will or Robbie and say, hey, have you thought about this? They're like, oh, yeah, here, let me send you a doc that we wrote five years ago where we talk about that. Um, it's you know so as I I say that to say as I talk about where I think uh, planet goes I stand on the shoulders of giants. It's really impressive uh, the vision that is that has been necessary and even just getting planet to where we are today, which is no small feat, um, but it's also a big part of where we're going. So I, I mean we will continue building state of the art satellite constellations and pushing the boundaries of what everyone thinks is possible. That is that is the first thing right that's the that's the basis of our moat so we recently announced our work with carbon mapper to create this hyperspectral satellite constellation about measuring methane and carbon dioxide emissions anywhere in the world getting more ground truth about measuring and mitigating climate change and you know being able to start to do things like hold countries accountable to the climate commitments that they've made and just last week we announced the Pelican constellation, which will be a very high resolution, very high revisit constellation that I think will set a new bar for the industry. And you know we're not done iterating and improving on our doves either, the medium res constellation. So that's our first moat. We have data that nobody else has at a higher resolution, at greater frequency, and that has to be a priority for us going forward as well. But then it's about complementing it with the software platform that we've been talking about for a lot of the time here. It's not just about raw data. It's about these composable building blocks that allow customers to plug in at whatever level they want, whether that's at the raw data level or whether they want things in the form of like time series and Excel spreadsheets or anything in between. And I deeply believe the way we grow this industry is by making the data easier to consume and shortening the path from... Uh, from where the customer starts to where the solution they're looking for is. Uh, And so by 2025, I think basically every business and every government in the world is going to be thinking about sustainability, about transparency, about climate change. And I think Planet will be a household name because we're going to be a key part of measuring and understanding and ultimately solving these problems.
1: Fair enough. Makes sense. Um, That's, you know, something to work towards, uh, but not to get pessimistic or anything, but I usually ask this question, what do you think can go wrong? You know, are you worried about something? I mean, it can be about, you know, Earth observation as an industry or, you know, as the space industry itself, or, you know, maybe you can even extend to humanity, but what worries you and, you know, what, uh, what keeps you up at night? Um, Maybe industry-wide, I think
2: the thing that would be most disappointing and, you know, is- potentially likely is that we continue to, uh, as, as this is maybe a bit of a US view, but we continue to fight amongst ourselves here in the US. And we let partisanship take precedence over actually making impact. And if we let that happen, it means that we fail to invest in the technology that matters. We fail to play the long game. And we're not keeping our collective eyes on the horizon. And that means that would be negative impacts geopolitically. And even more importantly, I think we'd be missing an opportunity to make a lot of people's lives better around the world. Uh, This climate change waits for nobody and we have to act now. So that to me would be really sad. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about it because it's not it's not unlikely unless we can get beyond partisanship and actually focus on the long term priorities. Uh, I, I guess I say that with a US lens, but it's, I think it's probably true across a lot of different countries. Like this is, this is bigger than any one of us.
1: Yeah. Well, but that's, you know, on, on the other hand, that's that's the beauty of working in the space industry, where right? You know, you see different kinds of things happening on a daily basis and, you know, it kind of makes you feel optimistic. Every time I hear, you know, Elon Musk uh, speak, I don't know what your views are about Elon, but I just get optimistic uh, in terms of how he thinks about the world and, you know, the kind of future he projects and, you know, to be working in the same industry is kind of, you know, kind of cool. That's one of the best things about working in space, I, I think.
2: Yeah, he's changed the world multiple times. It's amazing.
1: Right. Uh, last couple of questions. Um, if you're not doing what you're doing now, what do you think will you be up to? Something tells me it's going to be something about blockchain or the metaverse. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, it would probably be crypto, uh, and not for crypto's sake. Although I think the tech is awesome. Uh, and I had a great time going deep on it, I, I'd be doing it because I think the financial system is still upside down for too many people. It's expensive to be poor. And the the technology, specifically crypto, I think, can change that for billions of people around the world. It's an important mission. Um, but, you know, I'm very happy to be here at Planet. And I think I'm working on what's maybe the only more important and urgent mission that there is. Makes sense.
1: Um, Last question. I usually ask it in a different way, but I'm going to post it to you, you know, quite differently from usually what I ask. I usually ask, what's your one-line message for the space industry? But to you, I want to ask, what is the one thing that you want to take from, you know, your experiences from that tech world, you know, from Twitter and Instagram and Facebook to Earth Observation? You know, if you were to take one thing that, you know, they followed or they did to, Earth observation. What would that be? Maybe it's a tricky one, but I'll give it a try. I think it's that
2: the this industry and our ability to make an impact on the world is way bigger than anyone thinks. Uh, I, I think too too many times people uh, keep their focus on geospatial, and our our opportunity is well beyond that. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, this is a story that I I. It's burned into my memory. Um, This is Twitter back in, I think, probably 2010. And uh, we are having our first sales conference. And when I say sales conference, uh, that's a very generous term for what it was, because it was like three of us that were starting to think about what advertising might look like on Twitter, and like three salespeople that had joined on and were helping us figure this out. And it wasn't a sales conference in a big fancy auditorium, it was like we'd partitioned part of the micro kitchen. And, uh, and, and we're like having a meeting there while everyone else came in and got their snacks and their sodas and walked back to their desk. Um, but we had invited, uh, Peter Fenton from Benchmark, who was one of our VCs and was one of our board members. And he came out, he came to just talk about his perspective. And I think he literally went and stood on a chair just to give you a picture of, you know, this is... (laughs) sales conference is a very generous term, but here's Peter standing on a chair. And this is in 2010, when we were in the middle of like the the fail well, for those who remember Twitter at that time, the site was down all the time. We had lots of interest, but like, man, there were so many challenges and problems. And he stood on a chair and he said, Twitter is gonna be a hundred billion dollar company and it is gonna change the world. It is gonna be a part of the way the world communicates. Just watch. And I remember sitting there, being like, and I, I, you know, this was 2010, I was giving my heart and soul to the company. I was working all hours of the day, you know, spending nights in the office. And I, I remember thinking, you know, Peter, nobody nobody believes in Twitter more than me, but like hundred million, a hundred billion dollars, that's insane. Like, you're crazy. And now fast forward, whatever it's been 10 years since then, Twitter's not quite a $100 billion company, but it's not far off. And it does impact the entire world every day. It is how a lot of people in the world talk. Um, and well, I know you from Twitter. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's how we got to know each other. Um, and so it's just it's a reminder to me that even though even though we all we are, there are so many challenges that we have in front of us, there's so much left to figure out. But like you keep your eye on the horizon, the, our ability to impact the world is just massive. And from where we sit today, like I also believe planet can have that kind of impact uh, both you know, uh, uh, sort of socially and uh, financially and all these other things. But you ha- you almost, you have to believe it in order to get there. And I think it's true of planet. I think it's true of earth observation. I think it's true of our entire space industry. This industry can change the world, and I think it will. And I want more people thinking like that, because when you think like that, then you start to act accordingly. So that's, that was a, maybe a longer answer than you were looking for, but that's my, that's my message.
1: No, but that's a, that's a really, really nice message to, to end the podcast on. I didn't know what I was going to get, but you know, it was a really, really <laughs> nice message that, uh, that came. But thanks, thanks, Kevin. Thank you for being on the podcast. This was, this was a very fun chat.
2: Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for doing this. I've loved your podcast, so it's an honor to be on.
1: Thank you.
0: Hey, this is Arvind again. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the TerraWatch Space Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, feel free to sign up for my newsletter, TerraWatch on Substack. That is TerraWatch.substack.com, where I attempt to decode the recent developments in space tech and its impact on Earth. Thanks again, and hope to see you for the next episode.